Hello, welcome to Alien Addict again. Uh, as ever, I'm your well, one of your humble hosts, Lee Stevens. We have um, Mystic Mark from My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast on with us today, and we're looking forward to this. So, um, without further ado, Oliver, Dave, and our special guest, Mark. How are you all doing? Good. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, but it's it's cool for me because like I discovered your podcast like I was it was some some time last year early sort of time time last year and you've, you you're now on like my regular rotation of, of podcasts and I, I I turned the other two guys off on onto it. Um, I think you have such a like a broad like range of people that come on your show. Like with such a way, and it's it it seems to deviate slightly more from like the normal sort of conspiracy, it's like free thinking podcast. There, I think you take a risk. Probably isn't isn't the uh, the right word, but you definitely get you can definitely tell you get people on your show just because you want to speak to them, and not necessarily because you you you're interested in how many people they'll bring back to your show and stuff like that. And it's it's refreshing that. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I. You know, as much as I tried to do episodes like that in the early days of the podcast, where I'm like, oh, this is sure to be a hit. Everyone's going to love this guest. Oftentimes, I was surprised to find out, like, oh, people aren't as into Tommy Chong as they used to be, you know, <laughs> uh, or whoever, you know, whoever the guest may be. But I appreciate you saying that because it gives me an opportunity to say that synchronicity is kind of the engine behind how the guests are picked there's mm -hmm. a lot of synchronicity involved uh, whether it's a listener reaching out and saying hey you gotta you gotta interview this person and i just so happened to listen to them on a podcast the night before or i just so happened to see their book at a bookstore you know those are the kind of things i keep my awareness open to and generally the guests that i book that are the result of a synchronicity they're often some of the, the most engaging and fun conversations I have on the show. Cause there's that, like, it's not, it's like a authenticity to that moment, you know, whereas if it was like somebody who's crushing it and they're getting tons and tons of play, I might not have the right chemistry with them. And even though that, that episode's like sure to get a bunch of people to listen, my chemistry is not good with them. They're not going to listen to other episodes, right? So I'm always very cognizant of like who am I talking to and why, and uh, and yeah, I learned that that lesson pretty quickly into my podcasting uh, experience. That like the big name guests are never who you expect them. You know, sometimes you think this guest is going to be a hit and they end up being a flop. Other guests that you're like, ah, oh, whatever, end up being total crushed with the downloads. They just crushed it. So. Yeah, you never know when it comes to that kind of thing. I went to listen to one of your most uh, popular sh shows on on YouTube today. I I was just using the YouTube and I, I listened to Spotify in the car, and you had a guy on called uh, Is it Donut? <laughs> and, yeah, uh, and th that was like your most pop, one of your most popular shows on YouTube. But that was off a guest that had cancelled that didn't turn up, and you're like, this guy's just come come on out of the blue and. Uh, it's a banging podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. I don't remember quite the, the circumstances of that day, but Donut's a great guy. He's got a ton of uh, support on YouTube. He's really good at YouTube. Like, 
me, I'm more of a podcast. You know, that's where I fell in love with this whole, you know, medium was through the audio side of things. The video side of things has never really been my forte. Um, I'm making my way into it. But Donuts, he's an expert. He knows how to do the thumbnails. He knows how to bring people in, you know, in the first 30 seconds. Yeah, he's great. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it that made you start podcasting? Well, I've always been interested in strange things, you know, like this book collection behind me has been growing since I was like 12, 13, 14. You know, I, I've always owned books. I've always been fascinated by books. I remember my grandparents had the encyclopedia collection, you know, the old mail order encyclopedias. So I was always digging through that and looking up information and slowly but surely started to realize that what we were being told in school, what we were being told in a lot of these, you know, official books was not the full story. Um, so yeah, I just kind of kept on that sort of instinct of, or curiosity trail of what else is out there? What, what else is, is beyond what most people take for granted really. And, uh, that journey just hasn't, is, hasn't ceased, you know, I'm still learning new things. I'm still, um, meeting you know new people that share new ideas with me and it's kind of accelerated because of the podcast like in my previous life if you will uh, i would talk about this stuff with people and it was very rare that anyone would ever have you know something worthwhile to share back it was often like oh wow that's really interesting cool why do you know all that (laughs) you know Yeah, that's the one side of it that's a little funny when it comes to like, you know, why do you do this? Uh, I podcast because I like to, you know, it's 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 an opportunity to talk to people who are interested in similar things that I am interested in. And also a lot of the great authors that I've learned from I get a chance to interview them. So, yeah, the podcast is multi multi purpose in that sense. Lee turned me onto your podcast and I've listened to several of them and uh, since he has, and they're fantastic. And Lee kind of beat me to that punch. Definitely the variety of people that you have on, and I can tell that you're into the different subject matters. And just from us doing this, I've noticed the people we get to talk to, you get some of those best conversations like the before and after a show when you get that piece of, well, I wanted to say this, but I can't back it up. You know what I mean? But this is how I think it works that they didn't want to air. And you kind of build your own narrative of what's going on. And with the variety of people that you've had on that, I, I don't really review anything of like the UFOs or the aliens or the paranormal. I just kind of like the phenomenon and this weird world and how it links together. What, have you gotten any interesting takeaways from your time doing this and from talking to those kinds of people that you just see things that connect in a way that maybe you didn't see it before? Yeah, there's uh there's definitely there's a lot there that we can explore. So when it comes to entities, cryptids, that sort of thing, aliens, I used to be more of like a biologist in the sense that I I thought all of these things fit into neat categories, you know. Aliens, Sasquatch, they exist on the spectrum, we just haven't explored that far down in frequency on the spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. Now, 
after speaking to a bunch of people who've had encounters, speaking to people who've written books, after you know themselves interviewing tons and tons of witnesses, it seems like that line between physicality and supernaturality, whatever that may be, is much blurrier than I initially thought. You know, I used to mm -hmm. think like, oh, Sasquatch is just he's just the ape that we don't know about. You know, we just haven't researched him enough yet right whereas now i after talking to joshua cutchin and others like him the case is is pretty easily made that sasquatch is not a biological entity mm -hmm. you know just based on or at least doesn't fit into our normal definitions of what a biological entity is uh especially when you think about the vanishing aspects of the the reports you know the 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 fact that bigfoot seems to be in conjunction with other strange phenomena like orbs flying saucers etc so yeah it just it's made me redefine how i see the world around me for sure you know it's it's a lot less black and white after talking to all these people We've had we had a few big bigfoot guests on in the past, and I've always like been a little bit like that. With uh, probably because I'm from the UK, and we don't get any big giant gorillas walking around, <laughs> um, other than Lee. Um, but the um, the bigfoot thing I find fascinating because people do there's been report that's things being reported about going way way back. Did you see the um, the the Mandela thing with? The Bigfoot image, because that's one thing that I remember seeing in books when I was a kid looking at Bigfoot, the classic, this actual, I think I've got it here. Um, we did a show about this um, where Bigfoot apparently has now. Um, boobies. Boobies, yeah. Did you remember it as that? I think you took just a second. Yeah, the the... It definitely caught me off too. I remember it being a guy, like a male as Sasquatch, right? Yeah, I I think I remember that as having like pecs and not things. It's weird. that that not is movies. a weird one as far as the Mandela. Are, you, are you, you guys? That? Are you guys Mandela affecting the Patterson yeah. Gambling yep. film? No, yeah, I, I, we didn't do that. Somebody else did. Oh, okay. I sorry for stepping away there for a moment. I. I I remember seeing that when i was a kid and uh to my knowledge the the breasts were always there uh that was like a a feature that made it more realistic because people would make the argument like well you know if it was just a costume how could they go how would they go through the trouble of putting tits on it right yeah like, why mm -hmm. would they do that why would they do that to make it more realistic because they're perverts like i seems to me like it'd just be more more trouble Right. Especially back then when, you know, Hollywood makeup and all that isn't mm -hmm. as good as it is today. It just seems like it would be a couple steps too far where you could simply just, you know, put the, the cloth, you know, with nothing there and it might be a little simpler. So I don't I don't necessarily buy the idea that that was faked. I tend to. And hey, I'm gullible towards this kind of stuff, clearly, but uh <laughs> I so tend to think it's real based on this story and not so much yeah. the photo, but their story of the event and how they got the photo convinced me because if you know the story, I'll repeat uh, 
a brief version of it. The area where that photo was taken had suffered a hurricane. So all those trees that are down next to this Bigfoot, that's, you know, unusual. The forest doesn't normally look like that. So in my mind, if, you know, we're thinking in terms of this creature is something that somewhat resembles a biological entity, probably has a animal behaviors. And, you know, when you have no cover, your, your, your forest is wrecked. You're probably going to go and walk around and be like, what the hell happened? You know, <laughs> yeah, to me, like that's more what happened is this Bigfoot was caught off guard. It didn't have its normal brush to cut, you know, where it could find cover and these guys were on horseback they weren't expecting to see it they run upon it their horses freak out fall off their horse grab their camera and get that shot that we all know now i don't know it just doesn't i just don't buy that it was faked i think there was there's a lot of effort uh to make it seem like it's been faked but that's mostly because they don't want the truth out there you know Mm. so yeah the patterson gimlin film is is kind of funny <laughs> i often think with like old fakes as well the or the the idea of old fakes is you always look at them like in a modern lens where it's so easy to distribute like media now so let, let's say you were going to go to the all that effort to try and fake something back then um there's no guarantee you're going to be able to get any traction to get anybody to look at that rather than just faking something and showing the you know, your immediate circle of people You know, the thing for me when it came to Bigfoot was like the Sierra tapes and the missing 411 got me thinking in a much different direction than uh, I would have. In fact, I got turned on to the missing 411 and I was listening to uh, David Politis do a speech. It was a MUFON thing and he was talking about his books and he, he's always been very good about not putting out his opinion behind just information, right? And I was like that. And in his speech, he said, if you want to understand my book more, you need to read skinwalker ranch it's like read that then come back and reread my book and he says i think you'll things will start to make more sense Hmm. and so that's how i got turned on to that different kind of phenomenon and then which led to the sierra tapes and then i had stumbled across someone and i wish i could find them again on youtube but they were likening bigfoot encounters with the old fairy trolls and ogres and things that were underground that would come up to kind of hang out and then just vanish into thin air like it was here but not here but it's definitely here. Yeah. It's just avoidance. So, yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a big theme with this. And, you know, I think I just mentioned his name, but I'll say his name again, Joshua Cutchin, uh, another book of his that I've spoke to him about on my podcast, ecology of souls makes that exact point in a very, in a very comprehensive and thorough way that the alien phenomena of the 21st and 20th century is, pretty much the same as the fairy folk mm-hmm. phenomena of yesteryear, you know? And, and I think that that's a very popular idea right now in the paranormal cryptid community. Um, I, you know, I've never seen anything that I could maybe call a alien or fairy folk. Mm-hmm. I have, I've had the feeling like I was being watched. So who knows? Maybe a Sasquatch has seen me. But um, but I haven't had any firsthand 
encounters. So it's it's a hard subject for me to talk about. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, I will interview people about it on my show. But as far as like, you know, my personal research goes and what I know firsthand, I think a lot of what comes to my mind when I have these conversations on my show is place and setting. And I think those factors, those factor in far more heavily in a lot of cases than people necessarily take account of. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's just me, but I think there's such thing as energy vortexes, portals, if you will, places where the vibration or the frequency is different. And that could explain why certain areas have these strange beings or events occurring there, you know? Hmm. But it's thin. Yeah. yeah, or the world is thin. Have you had any paranormal experiences or seen any nice lights in the sky you'd like to share? Yeah, I've seen um I've seen lights in the sky. I've seen, you know, one of the weirdest things I've seen in the sky. I don't know if this is account, you know, you can account for this with some meteorological phenomena, but I saw something make a movement that looked like a corkscrew. And it was like corkscrewing away from me. So like I'm standing underneath the corkscrew and it spirals up away from me. There's this blue light and it went like in a circle, but farther away, you know, like as it's circling, it's going away from me. Like it's following, um, what do you call that? A yo-yo? No, not a yo-yo. The things that go down the stairs. What are those things called? It's like a slinky. slinky. Yeah, like it's following the track of a slinky. That's exactly what it looked like. And as it went further away, it got tinier and tinier and just disappeared, which made me think that's not a meteor. That's something flying upward, right? But mm-hmm. who knows? Perspective could have made it seem like it was coming or going away from me when, in fact, it was falling to the earth and it just looked smaller because it was withering away, right? So I'm super skeptical with my own experiences. I'm not the best guest on a podcast when it comes to like talking about weird stuff because I'm always second guessing what I see. And I think that's important, you know, when you're doing research and when you're learning about this stuff, you always want to second guess and and criticize what, uh, what you're being told, not to be mean or dismissive, but we need to criticize in order to really get to the bottom of uh, these phenomena in order to get to what's really going on. So I, I never, I never let that experience like go overblown. It's just been kind of in the back of my mind. And when it comes up, it comes up, but I think everybody who's into this kind of stuff, if they rack their mind hard enough, they probably Mm -hmm. have a weird experience they've seen something it might not fit the category of alien bigfoot fairy ufo but you've seen something weird i guarantee every person has seen something weird and i think more often times than not things like animals can take the place of strange phenomena or do things that are are out of character for that species of animal And I think there's something really supernatural about that as well, like uh, our relationship with the environment and how birds, plants, animals 
they're they're all capable of interacting with us in a way that supersedes their own consciousness uh what does that mean could mean that other consciousnesses are interacting with us through them could mean their consciousness is interacting with us in a way that doesn't totally match their biological form um but you know personally i've had a ton of experiences with animals that uh defy biological normal normal behavior you know like it, it could just be coincidence or accident but you know i've had things like foxes run within five feet of me i've had birds fly like two feet past my face almost knock me to the ground you know and i wonder if those experiences are meant to share information with us not like linguistic information but information of a higher order conscious energy like a signal to say look you, you're you're still part of something bigger than you think you are yeah or even if it's like not even conscious like what if they can like plant a energy seed that blooms a few weeks later so you don't have that idea when you see whatever the trigger event was but a few weeks later now you you have this new idea and it's correlated with that event i think that kind of thing happens a lot where you have people who work in maybe an industry that's advancing you know progress in a certain direction i think those people get downloads right that's the term that a lot of people use downloads and i think that those downloads come to them in kind of supernatural or uh, paranormal ways and that's it could be something that's totally natural and biological it's just outside of our spectrum of sense sensory perception so we don't necessarily think of it as a natural human thing but you know when and when we look at animals in the wild and how they adapt and evolve to their environment when one animal observes when we observe a change in one animal the rest of the species conforms to that change without having a direct observation of that behavior so what does that tell you it tells you that all these animals are connected mentally genetically energetically you know they, they have this mm -hmm. like uh just what's the right word for it it's like a universal connection but there's yeah, a better yeah. word for it I, I i totally see what you're saying with the animal thing as well and, and I, I think when it comes to the paranormal as well I, I can remember um, when I was a kid, we had a dog and there was something going on in this house where we we apparently had another, another ghost dog, to cut a long story short. Uh, and that dog used to pick up on stuff. I can't remember this. I was too young to even remember it. My mum and dad told me, but I believe that animals do see the paranormal as well. So if the paranormal is just like something else that exists on this planet that's not necessarily ghosts but it's just all a part of nature maybe that's the that because you do you do see it's even in films where you see dogs barking at the ceiling but you hear so you see, you read that in books and you see that in um documentaries where people have spoken about it so i, I definitely think there's something to that i i so i've told these guys this uh mark but you wouldn't know uh I was involved with some dudes doing some training uh, 
involving like tactical units and dogs and stuff. And we were char- in an old church that got turned into a school that was getting condemned. And uh, as we're running these dudes through in their little teams and they're working their dogs and stuff and clearing and different stuff. I saw someone look like someone had walked behind and uh, we have the keys. No one else is there. You know, we've got a bunch of dudes with, even though the guns are cleared, you treat them as though they're always loaded. And, you know, we can't just have someone wandering around. Plus the dogs, once they're off leash, man, anything in front of them, that's a, that's a bad day. Um, so we get a bunch of the guys to go and, and like, hey, we start calling out, you know, blah, blah, blah. We're here. You need to identify or work at a. Anyway, they go room to room and search. And they first go to the, all right, well, we're going to turn the dog loose. And the dog went five feet, laid down came back to the handler. Handler's like, he's done. That's the sign that he's done working for the day. So they had another one. Bring it in. Dog did the same thing. So then they ended up searching all the rooms. No one was there. But the dogs wanted no part of the end of that building. They were just like, and we're done now. Professionally trained bite dogs. Like, that's what they are. They are fur missiles with teeth. Who, armed, unarmed, fine. Five feet down the hallway, and they're like, nah, no, we're good. We're good. We're going to take a smoke break. <laughs> you guys do this. <laughs> wow. Huh. Yeah. It was a trip, man. I like I, what you said about seeds, though, because I don't know if you're familiar with the guy who discovered DNA. Uh, he actually said multiple times he didn't discover anything. It was shown to him in a vision. Yeah. He was doing psychedelics, and he's like, it was all explained to me. And then I went down and searched it, and it was real. Yeah. 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 There, there I think it was two guys, but. Francis yeah. Crick is one of them, and yep. that's exactly what I'm referencing. You know, these inventors, these uh, people who innovate in the realms of science and technology, oftentimes they don't even take credit for their own discoveries, which I think tells us something about the world that we live in and what kind of people are gifted with those kind of, uh, you know, powers so to speak right it's it's so people who don't even want to take credit for it right what does that tell you i think there's a certain like energy quotient that's necessary to even qualify for that kind of thing right so i mean this gets into the whole sociology and society and how we're being engineered on a mass level uh maybe even farmed if you will right a fear farm where the fear is the product and you know that's pumped out to the the masses right and it's a, this fear farm where you know you are the livestock uh you know gripping to that life that that life that you have you know it's mm-hmm. it's it's this really weird state of being to be in and i wonder if that's a part of what we're evolving out of you know, and that's why these folks who are kind of fearless and on the leading edge of what's possible, they're privy to this kind of information. They receive these kind of downloads because they're not caught up in the the fear farm. They're not caught mm-hmm. up in the rat race. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder how much of that is designed so that people stay in a certain place, you know. But um, when it comes to weird supernatural stuff, I think it's everywhere. You know, that's why I do uh, a show with my girlfriend, two of my friends called Esoteric America, where we invite folks on to tell us about, you know, wherever they're from. And uh, I know you guys are in the UK. So it's kind of funny. (laughs) America, you know, as far as history goes, 
it's pretty it's pretty short you know like the the written history it's only a couple hundred years right five 500 600 years maximum mm-hmm. whereas if we try to do like an esoteric uk show <laughs> you're going back <laughs> we, we there for a long time each town would have like six seven eight episodes so i think uh for now we're we're comfortable just with esoteric america but what we're finding is there's tons of of stuff that has just been left out of the mm-hmm. normal account of history and i wonder if that's again because they don't want people uh adding energy to these concepts maybe Mm. because by acknowledging them you bring life to them you know this whole idea um when it comes to america you have these areas in in europe too uh but you have these areas that are known colloquially folklorically uh, as like the devil's this or that right Mm -hmm. the devil's haunt the devil's tower etc etc and i wonder if the secularization or the sterilization of our geography has contributed to the lack of like dreamlike mythical experiences you know we don't necessarily recognize the land as being magical anymore and maybe that accounts for why we don't see as many of these creatures now where we do have that sense is in remote wilderness places where Bigfoot's often seen UFOs are often seen in remote wilderness. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if there's a sort of like egregore or like frequency of mind that you have to be in to engage in these experiences. And because modernity and humanity, we've kind of, We've discovered everything, and there's less and less wild spaces as time goes on. Maybe that contributes to why, you know, these kind of experiences are seemingly less and less or changing. You know, now we have people experiencing things in the psychedelic realm, which is, again, mythical, fabled. People talk about it like it's a mythical, fable kind of place the same way people used to talk about the world outside of their known community or town right so i think there's a component to to this like uh mind first understanding of these experiences that that somehow our mind is predicated predicating these experiences or predetermining these experiences right so like one person could walk into a ufo hotspot and see nothing and another person can walk into a ufo hotspot and it's like all the ufos are there waving at them mm-hmm. i think i think that you know to go back to like maybe the question you guys asked me earlier that's the biggest kind of philosophical concept that i've come around to since starting the podcast whereas before i wasn't very not knowledgeable about it. i knew it all existed i knew people had ufo encounters i knew people had sasquatch encounters it was interesting but now i'm starting to think like it's it's something more holistic than just some remote places have weird stuff i think it has to do with our place in the world so to speak 
Is that making any sense? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. See, I, I I have a theory about social media uh, uh, that revolves kind of around that, and the way that we're seeing these um, go from. 2018 2019 forward you know where, where you you kind of had the big like the beginning of the culture wars and things really feel like they've been going off the rails like socially from that that point um i think there's something and i know you um uh, a friend of sam tripoli's and his his theory on the internet was that the internet was put out there and it got away from the controlling structures that that put it there and i can't help think that we we have some sort of physical uh, power over our environment that's around us. And by creating social media, what they did was inadvertently make a hive mind. And then, so when you then shift, ship all of like the like nonsense superhero films in there or, uh, or like, cra- like crazy sci-fi TV series, and then you create a hive mind, which can affect like out a reality around it you're going to end up with a crazier and crazier reality as you go on. Um, you know, it's, I think you can, you could make an argument for what happened like during the, uh, the pandemic is something that's, that's gone on there. It's created this weird, like sci-fi esque situation. And from that we've created like super villains, like Klaus Schwab and manifested people like Elon Musk into like heroes uh, you know, even comparing him to Iron Man most of the time. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I've just got this thought that maybe, I mean, maybe things don't, maybe, maybe things can't get better. But when you you have all this access to people, and like it means like people like me listen to people like you, and then we listen to to other people as well. I this explosion of things like the mud flood theory and Tartaria and stuff like that. I I think that's because there's just this connection and the more we're connected, the more we know there's something not quite right about the foundations that we're stood on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like the chaos magic concept in a way. It's kind of what comes to mind as you're saying that like they, they turn up the bandwidth on this kind of consciousness frequency so much that people are uh, co-creating reality without necessarily being cognizant of that. Cause mm-hmm. it's kind of, we're kind of separated from it. Whereas before, if we created something in our life, it was tangible, you know, it was something you would show people or bring people to. Uh, whereas now people are creating things that just kind of spread out like, viruses mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and and yeah just infect whoever they will i mean this podcast my podcast you know our podcasts all the podcasts work in that way where you know you ingest it you learn from it you share it with others those ideas stick with you they then become a part of possibly conversations you have that then turn other people to uh, listen to this similar content so you have a point there. I mean, when it comes to Tartaria and the mud flood theory, I've been skeptical of that a lot, mm-hmm. mostly because I think you guys can relate being from the UK. But where I'm from in New England, there's at least 
four or five hundred years of written history telling me about this place. So I'm like, okay, so that this is quite a conspiracy that all these people writing about this land here were lying and leaving this this ancient civilization out. It's a lot of uh, organization for you know people who were surviving you know as settlers yeah. you know mm -hmm. base so it's like it's hard for me to wrap my head around but then i start to look into it and i'm finding out but there were pre-columbus civilizations of europeans here in america there were the vikings there were the celts there were even groups from the mediterranean that came over to america before columbus did so i started to ask myself could it be that Tartaria and this idea of an old world civilization is some sort of uh, straw man, red herring, or whatever you will. I'm not a logician, so I don't know all those nerd terms. But you know, when it comes to uh, creating like a diversion from the truth, mm. mud, blood, and old world that that stuff's hit like wildfire on the internet. It's just and exploded as well. Like, yeah, and around this time that a lot more information is coming out about the skeletons in Smithsonian's closet, all of the skeletons unearthed in mounds. So I wonder if we're seeing two counter narratives here where, you know, as the truth comes out, they have to create this kind of mucky, messy, murky, no pun intended, old world kind of, you know, fake version of it to throw people off. Again, I don't. I'm not sold on either one. I'm skeptical of it all. But when you look at the mud flood, it's conveniently timed well with, you know, recent discoveries by controversial archaeologists like Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson. They're talking about Younger Dryas and the the this this asteroid and things that really tell us a lot more than what we've known about humanity and our story. Seems like a perfect ripe opportunity for the CIA, the KGB to go and throw in a bunch of fake cataclysm stories to confuse mm. people, right? Oh, you you have people learning about the real human origins and how humanity's millions of years old and we've survived all these cataclysms. We can't have the people knowing that we're that invincible. No, turn the timeline upside down, tell them that the mud flood happened 200 years ago. And you know what I mean? Like, that's the kind of idea I entertain when I'm thinking about this because it is a little startling. Like, how did all this stuff come out of nowhere? Uh, but playing devil's ad advocate here or uh, Tartarian advocate here, we have the whole Iron Curtain that only recently fell, right? So mm -hmm. before the 90s, a lot of that information that was Russian-centric was behind that iron curtain and not available to the rest of the world. So is it actually true that, you know, this old world stuff is just the result of that? And it is true. And we just haven't heard much about it until recently because it was behind that language culture barrier. It's possible. I mean, these are all ideas that I entertain, but there is one smoking gun when it comes to Tartaria. And that is this CIA document that explicitly mentions the Tartaria theory. And it talks about, I think, and I could be wrong about this, Velikovsky. I could be wrong about that. But that seems to me like a smoking gun because some of, it's like the first mention of Tartaria in the American language 
world. Like there's really not a lot of material on Tartaria before the 19 something like 40s or 50s. And was that a, part of the Adam and Eve thing? The, that? There was the CIA thing, wasn't it? The Adam and Eve thing, the um, which mm -hmm. talked about the turnings, you know, in the like cataclysms. It could be. It could yeah. be. I don't. I don't remember that. You know, totally. But I do know that Tartaria was mentioned. It might be that the Garden of Eden was also mentioned in that. So that casts some doubt in my mind on the whole Tartaria thing when I saw the CIA. Also, the fact that some of these YouTube channels that talk about it just blow up huge, no mm -hmm. pushback whatsoever, whereas there's other channels on YouTube that are talking about very real historical conspiracies with tons of uh, sources and, and play, you know ways you can verify and corroborate, and they get boom banned no you can't learn about this family you can't learn about this time period why is that but well, we can learn about this mud flood tartaria thing that's so controversial that nobody's known about it it's just a little fishy to me and and i know people who are fans of tartaria they see my interviews with people who research it and they think oh this is awesome this guy loves this topic too and they probably get disappointed when they hear me being critical of the whole theory, which is fine. I think we have to be critical. I think the fact that we have zealots for a topic that's only four years old or, or a theory that's only three or four years old, that's a little alarming to me, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. I, again, I don't want to cast aspersions on the topic because it's, again, I'm open-minded to it all. But it's just a little suspicious, especially when there's tons of evidence for other lost old world civilizations in America and around the world. I'm suspicious of it because of the um, the, the way it just appeared out of nowhere. Um, I think you could make an argument for the fact it probably wouldn't have caught on the way it did without TikTok being around at the same time because you can it's a TikTok you can put out a really good 60 second sound in theory that that doesn't have to have like a, a huge amount behind it. Mm. I think a lot of these things that get flooded with information, like there's interesting ideas or critiques, whether it be the Antarctica or an ice wall or the flat earth or multidimensional aliens or Tartaria, there's bits in there that people, you can feel it like resonate. Like, Hey, this is interesting. And then all of a sudden you see everything flooded with information. And you're like, this is, this is, it's like a Mickey mouse effect, man. You, you, you're putting too much out. Like I'm, I'm now, all right, I'm now done. This is, this was too much. You're, you're mm -hmm. getting crazy. You had me here. Like there's a very interesting thing um, in Tennessee where I, where I live. Um, when they were building the dams, they unearthed alleged um, Egyptian ruins. They bring in an Oxford Egyptologist. And the TVA at the time, the Civil Corps of Engineers, the Army Corps of Engineers, and the civils and all that stuff, they're like, oh, this is great. We're going to pour 300 feet of concrete on it right now. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly what they did. They unearthed it, took a couple pictures. The guy tried to get it halted, and they're like, hey, the water's already rising. We need to be building. And that's – I'm so glad you said that, and I apologize for calling you uh, British before. No offense. Uh, I appreciate <laughs> it. It was, it, was, it was getting me. It was just <laughs> killing him. 
lump you in, especially knowing you're from the heartland. I mean, that must have really hurt you. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm pure freedom here, man. I'm yeah, I hear you. But that's the kind of thing I'm talking about is overwhelmingly you see stories where and I'm not one of these social justice warrior race, you know, freaks like I really despise that whole movement. But, you know, when it comes to the Native Americans, there has been an active suppression of their culture. I mean, it's undeniable. Right. And what I found and that your anecdote there totally wraps into that is that the Egyptians have a lot of similarities with these Native American tribes, some tribes, not all the mm -hmm. tribes. They weren't, you know, just one group. But the pyramids are like the biggest indication of that, because where do we have pyramids? We have them in mm -hmm. the Egyptian world. We have them in the Mesoamerican world, a little bit in the South American world. And that's about it. I mean, there are pyramids in other parts of the world, but the majority of the pyramids are in those two cultural centers. Mm -hmm. So why would those two cultural centers be completely separated, isolated, no mm -hmm. chance of them ever interacting with each other? To me, that just makes no sense. To me, it seems like there was a older civilization in the Atlantic Ocean that suffered some sort of cataclysm and spread out in both directions, you know, and yeah. you have pyramids on both sides, right? So I think if if there is an old world civilization, it's more likely connected to that. And what we're seeing is this very old Greek christian judeo-christian kind of mystery cult world of control you know these these groups that knew about the old world from the greco-egyptian roman world i think the power structure that we have today is inherently linked to that time period and has been keeping this cover-up of the old world consistent over that span of time might not be the same families or the same, you know, bloodline and control over that vast period of time. But I think since Alexandria mm -hmm. to now, there's been a cons consistent and concerted effort by groups of people to basically erase anything before the flood. Right. And, I, you know, when you look at the flood, I'm not coming at this from a Christian perspective, mm -hmm. but you have tons of other cultures talking yeah. about the flood and other stories that seem to mirror what we have in the Judeo-Christian world. So to me, it just seems like that's where we need to be focusing on when it comes to the old world is what was lost before the majority of humanity got onto this like sort of framework that we're in now where asia is predominantly buddhist and hindu muslim and the rest of the world's predominantly either christian jewish or you know something in between mm -hmm. minus the indigenous people who haven't been colonized yet right i mean when did that become a thing that's what that's mm -hmm. when i think we really need to be looking back i don't know about the whole i being, you know, the, mm -hmm. the phantom time theory when it comes to Tartaria, there may be something to that. But as far as like mud floods go and old buildings here in America, uh, I'm more skeptical on the Tartaria end of it, less skeptical on like 
the Newport Tower, the mounds, mm-hmm. the pyramid. Like there is a grounded and rooted way to research the old world, and then there's this like TikTok way that's yeah. come about in the past four or five years, and it's dangerous because it 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 only clouds the uh, narrative and makes it harder for us to understand the origins of who we really are. Now, if all that Tartaria stuff turns out to be true well then i'm wrong you know and i'll be i'll be happy to admit that but i as far as i've seen where i stand now seems like the tartaria stuff is more likely to lead people astray than anything else i think what you said about the alexandria and it's like something's being hidden do you think that's uh so i mean obviously the 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 biggest elephant in the room is the uh um tucker carlson and him constantly talking about and i'm not going to say necessarily ufos is so much the phenomenon i know people like to frame it as ufos but he says that there's you know dark or scary things and you'd kind of hinted at it earlier whether we're trapped in some kind of cycle of fear or feeding or being farmed what do you think because you've talked to more people than we have what's your just you know fifty thousand foot ballpark not holding you to it oversight of what do you think that is he's referencing what do you think that fear is that he he's hearing things that he doesn't want to believe, but he sure as heck doesn't want to talk about it with his family or anyone else? Yeah, well, when it comes to all that, I think, you know, the government is certainly not going to be the ones to tell us the truth. Right. And there's a, there's a whole contingency of UFO researchers who are like essentially NGOs working with the government. You know, mm-hmm. they they're basically non-government UFO agencies like they pretty much are you know Mm -hmm. parallel to the government so i don't know exactly what you're referencing but just from what i've learned about ufos and read about seems to me like we're dealing with an ancient phenomena i don't know if that's necessarily zachariah sitchin's anunnaki or nibiruans but i do think that humanity whether it's biblical or whether it's some sort of, you know, God situation, right? Mm-hmm. Mythical situation. I think our understanding of these beings has shifted in the past three, 400 years as we've become more scientific. But I think these beings have always existed and have just expressed themselves in different forms, you know, whether or not they have a whole warlike culture or a advanced culture or something that's even beyond that and unfathomable to us i mean who knows it, it seems to me like there's more value in the term ultra terrestrial than there is in the term extra terrestrial and even yeah. that term extra terrestrial is curious because it doesn't imply necessarily that they're from land off of the earth yeah. it implies that they're from land on the earth that we don't know about right and i think that's kind of where ultra terrestrial is a little clearer mm-hmm. of a term but yeah i think humans have always known about these other places the other world um you know the underworld i think we've always known about them 
we have the Tuatha Day Danin that came from the underworld, right? So mm -hmm. even in the past, you have stories of being great beings coming from other places. So I, I wonder if it's more of a breakaway type of species of maybe human or something else that's like humans that lit they're able to live because of their technology underwater in canyons i mean any number of inaccessible places you know we as humans were limited uh, quite a bit to what we can what parts of the planet we can access right so mm -hmm. if they were able to make a huge leap uh, away from us technologically at some point in the ancient past I think one of their first choices would to be, would be to live in a place that's inaccessible to the rest of us. I mean, that's obvious, right? If you're if you're gonna try to control the planet and control maybe humans, if you're not human or you are human, I think the the best thing you would want to do is is get yourself away from everyone else to a place where nobody can see what you got going on, and you can go, you can do what you want secretly and return to where you live and nobody knows right so whether that's some island or underground or who knows you know i i i wish i knew <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny you should say that because um i don't know if you believe the guy or not but uh, bob lazar said on joe rogan uh, that they came from an archaeological dig uh, wow. david grush recently has uh he, well he's been everywhere hasn't he but he's he he says non-human he said don't want to call them alien non-human like it's almost like the, there's a hint there to what it is right you know something that freaks me out that I, i've heard these people say a lot like they say the non-human and this and that especially when the non-human it rings true and uh what was it bob bigelow was interviewed and they uh, and they were asking him you know what about aliens because you put all this into aliens he's like well they're here they're all here right here and he's like laughing about it it makes me wonder that if they are here, they look just like us. Maybe they bred with us, and we don't even know. Well, and that you would know? that would make sense as to why they're so like, you know, flipping or you know, kind of like, I don't know how to describe that reaction, but yeah. you kind of summed it up pretty well there. Or he's kind of laughing about it, like, yeah, I wonder if it's like it's one of these things where you would never know unless somebody told you like the aliens could be standing right in front of mm -hmm. us. You wouldn't mm -hmm. know unless they admitted it. And I've heard people talk about this on podcasts, like the idea that there are walk-ins or people who act in ways that sort of give them away as a non-human being that was weird. There was a piece of dust that was like doing like a circle. I that. <laughs> it was like, as I was talking about that, it was like doing its own conscious movement. That was weird. Hanging out uh, with you. Rewind video viewers. Rewind. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the idea that they're right in front of us, I think is totally plausible. And there are stories of people who interact with seemingly humans that act in ways they're not, human at all like asking like really weird questions like that clearly imply this is a a person who is not familiar with human culture but they appear uh you know on all visible angles to be a adult human who should have how many years of experience mm -hmm. in the world yet they're asking a question like 
what is that and pointing at a bank or what is that and pointing at a train you know and it's not language you know thing it's like mm -hmm. it's like a like they just got on the planet two days ago kind of thing you know there's tons of stories one of my favorite podcasts and websites for this kind of information is mysteriousuniverse.org uh, because they just they have some of the best writers and they're always on top of these stories when they do come out you know the tabloids like the daily star and whatnot they'll always put these kind of stories out but some people take those stories a little bit further and i think that's where you find the uh you find the good stuff you know when you when you find because the tabloids they'll make it sound like oh this is crazy right but then you have a guy who's done the research who's like yeah this is crazy but next to all these other stories of this happening how crazy is it right when this happened yeah. 10 times to 10 different people how crazy is it right so i don't know it's like the movie they live right turns out it wasn't a movie it was documentary because if you think about it, like we were saying with the internet and social media it's all just noise to keep you asleep and distracted from asking too many questions keep you obsessed with the consuming consumed with consumption it's what they want you doing they don't want you asking anything once you being afraid you're going to lose something in your little life and all the while you're just turning gears for them and whatever it is they do and want to do well and if we knew we'd freak out and rebel but, you know, everybody listening to this podcast and the podcast we create, they're already one foot out of that control yeah. paradigm. You know, I think that's what's really cool about having the ability to do this and do shows and put these shows out there freely is we're, we're activating an enlightenment in people. I hope. I don't, I mean, I, as I, I said that, I'm like, geez, that's lofty lofty oh. terms there you're using to describe yourself mark chill out <laughs> but goals, I, goals should be lofty though they should be yeah well yeah. we have we have high goals especially here on the my family thinks some crazy podcast i got some really big goals but you know i think everybody's on their own journey and i i never want to be someone who like forces someone to see the truth and that's why the show's named what it is because I, I think a lot of people when they have this moment of realization, they they want to immediately grab the people closest to them and shake them and be like, look, look at how the world really is. And those are always the people who are hardest to convince, you know, is your family. So, oh, yeah, I've fallen out with my father <laughs> many times over conspiracies. Right, right. And I'm, sure, ones. I'm sure ma many of us have similar experiences. I've been kicked out of my grandparents house plenty of times for saying the wrong thing or talking about the wrong thing they're they're lovely they, they i grew up like a few blocks away from them so they'd kick me out of the house out of their house and i just walk home but it was always fun because i you know something would come up on the news and i'd be like well actually and they'd be like don't start with this conspiracy crap again <laughs> my grandmother but yeah, it's, it's, I think it's, it's a part of the world we live in where inevitably there's a, a percentage of us that are, are either bogged down with our responsibilities in life or just for whatever reason, blue pilled, you know, there's a lot of reasons people blue pill, you know, for lack of a better term. But I think the majority of it is like, comfort and security they feel a certain comfort and security from 
knowing that other people are worry, worrying about it or knowing about the world. It's not their responsibility to figure out the world. Somebody else's. There's too many questions for them to answer. And I just, I hate that mentality. Yeah. I think that's been manufactured. I think people are organically curious and want to know about the world. You can only know so much, but, uh, but I think we've been given all this like crap so that we, you know, we can't learn the, the real valuable stuff. You know, we're overwhelmed with all this crap for lack of a better term. Well, in the uh, UK is uh, the BBC, you know, like, mm. My mum and dad, whenever whenever I go around, I talk about, especially of the last what three to four years, what's what's gone on. Um, they would be like, "Well, this is what they're saying on the news, so it, it's got to be real," you know. Right? You got to listen to these people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we Lee got a question, but I think it's actually a good topic of discussion since we're just kind of wandering around into the strangeness of phenomenon. Uh, Rudolph. I'm going to let that one last, last name go. I went to, I, I went to uh, public school, man. I, that's beyond me. Uh, <laughs> at the least, what do you guys think of remote viewing? I'll, I'll take this one first since I'm the go. guest. Please. I think uh, remote viewing, there's a few books out there about remote viewing that if you haven't read, I highly recommend it, but when you read about what the governments allegedly can do with remote viewing, I mean, we've already been in a surveillance state for a long time. And I wonder how often that kind of thing happened in the ancient world where you have like kings and queens with sorcerers looking through mirrors and spying on people. And like the stuff that would, would we would think of as fairy tale is actually true. Like, you know, looking into the magic mirror, what is it? Is that uh, Sleeping Beauty where the magic mirror plays mirror, a role? Mirror. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we have this and John D had a scrying mirror. And so, yeah, I think remote viewing is is something really, uh, really worth, you know, stewing on. Because, you know, the fact that human beings can do it, I think, shows in many ways what's possible and maybe... You know, that's the kind of mindset I like to take into history because mm-hmm. that's academic academics don't do that. They don't accept psychic phenomena. They don't accept any of this. So when they talk about history, they're like, oh, yeah, isn't that silly that people thought this monk was flying around and he knew what was going on in his village all the time? I don't think it's silly at all. He was clearly remote viewing and then teleporting like, mm-hmm. you know, and there's there's tons of uh stories of monks doing that kind of thing it just they they needed solitude to accomplish it and that's probably what the remote viewers were doing the cia would take them put them in a room let them concentrate on you know a map or whatever their tool was to help them get into the right zone to remote view but uh you know i wonder if that's just not like a human ability that we've known about for thousands of years you know i I think we have this misconception that like oh yeah technology and the the frontiers of the mind and we're we're discovering them it's like no no no. we've always had these abilities we're just starting to understand them now you know we're just 
defining them in ways we hadn't before. But uh, I'm I haven't really looked too far into the whole remote viewing uh, subject matter, like all the stories and whatnot. I, I'm familiar with the names. You know, there's like Russell Targ was a big guy in that sector, and then um, another guy had like a very Russian kind of name, Igor. Oh, Yuri. Yeah, Yuri Geller. So, but that's that's about as far as my wheelhouse goes on remote viewing. How about you guys? I think uh, a guy from uh, well, a friend of ours, a friend of the channel, has spent some time at the remote Monroe Institute. Monroe, yes, Institute. Rich, yeah, Rich spent quite some time there. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, he 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 gave me the uh, tapes to listen to when I was in hospital. They actually did help. Um, I gave help. you those, you think? Oh, he, yeah, he gave me them as well. Yeah, you both <laughs> gave me them. Um, yeah, I like I. I think if we if we believe we can um, like change reality around us, then remote viewing is only like a step or another aspect of that. I don't, I don't, I don't see see why there's any. I don't, I don't see why I could believe that and not believe in remote viewing. I think is the is, yeah. is the idea. Then when you when you talk about like government agencies and stuff like that putting time, money, and resources into things. Um, although I, I understand money isn't necessarily a factor when it comes to that stuff, but the time and the resources is a definite thing. I don't think you would put resources and people onto, onto things if you weren't getting some payback for doing them. Well, and I think, you know, going back to the whole remote viewing as a human ability thing, like I wonder how successful they were in implementing remote viewing in the way that they did because you know when you look at like superhuman abilities mm -hmm. right like there are tons of cases of people you, you know having superhuman strength in a moment of crisis where mm -hmm. somebody's pinned under a heavy object and similarly there are cases where people have this like flash insight or instinct like somebody that I'm close to is hurt and they know exactly where they are and they go straight mm -hmm. to them. That's remote mm -hmm. viewing. You know, yeah. you know, something that that person doesn't necessarily train in. It's something a friend, that a friend of mine, um, a friend of mine, we were, we were swimming in the sea uh, here and we, we, was, we had to climb down like a cliff, uh, cliff to get to it. And like, he's only small, you know, I'm, I'm six foot two. I'm, I'm a big guy anyway. And he's what five foot, nothing like skinny as a rake. And the sea came in on us really quickly, and I was getting sort of smashed against the wall. And he was was up with absolutely no purchase on on him because you know he, he was stood on seaweed and stuff like that. And that guy just yanked me out of the sea, just like one arm yanked me out of the sea with him, and we we climbed off up the wow. off up the thing. That guy could not pick me up, like to save his life again, he could not pick me up. But to save my life, he, he sure absolutely could. could. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's incredible. And you have firsthand experience of it, man. That's mm -hmm. that's crazy. I see, I wish I didn't smoke as much weed because I probably could remember maybe moments like that more. <laughs> I'm sure that, that there's not superhuman strength, but I'm sure there's been moments like that where I've had like a flash insight and I was right, you know, and we've all had these gut instincts. Mm -hmm. And I guess my point, uh, going back to the, like the CIA or MI6 or whoever's doing remote viewing. I wonder if they have a hard time like 
implementing it in like this kind of structured way where they're like all right we need results out of you for this because it's it's almost like spontaneous it's like it's something spiritual i i don't know if you can force that kind of thing but i i've been going deep on this lately <laughs> okay so it's funny that this topic comes up uh for a good book to read on it is phenomenon by annie jacobson okay uh it's phenomenal like she gives she's great like this is the first book by her i've read i'm gonna read all of her stuff but uh I mean, she goes back to like OSS days when the Belk and DuPont families and, you know, Rothschild heirs were getting together and getting into seances and like all that kind of stuff. Like where this, and, and it's a lot, it's very interesting, but fast forward to the military and CIA. Absolutely. DIA, when it was first instituted, this is one of the first programs it took on. Stanford Research Institute put money into it. Um, the research I've done makes it think that the Monroe Institute is actually an intelligence front looking for people with talent. Cause one of the things they really figured out is yes, everybody can remote view to about 20 to 30% accuracy. And there's something they don't say, but if you read all the accounts enough, you start to come to people who get way into it and they're doing it all the time. They start getting sick. Like this person dies of cancer. This like, so when the military were, one of the things the military wanted to do is they didn't want to hire quote unquote psychics. They wanted to make their soldier psychic, someone who already has security clearance, someone I already trust, right? Someone who I know. So they came up with this process. It was actually the founder of the Monroe Institute's daughter who helped the army put their protocols in and using, um, parts of the CIA using parts of the Stanford Research Institute and all the names we know in this world. And they were getting hits. But what they found is when they found someone who was already sensitive, like you would call a sensitive, not a psychic, but someone who was, and we all kind of know that person, right? The person who knows what I'm thinking without them. They, 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 um, they're emotionally intuitive of other people. It's just that person, you know, that always has that insight. If you teach that person to remote view, they're 80, 90% accurate and they don't get sick. They live a long, like Ingo Swan or Yuri Geller or all these other people who just kept That's doing what it. I was thinking of Ingo Swan. Yeah. Yeah. They, they just, and there's, there's a couple other ones they talk about and they actually reference one woman that was the DIA and CIA and Stanford were using. And she's like, I couldn't find anything more about, about her, which makes you think she was really good. And they just kind of whitewashed all that information. Hmm. And I think that, that even yeah. kind of points to the the truth about our our nervous system and our abilities as human beings, like the idea that some folks who overused that ability suffered, you know, health yeah. impairments or consequences. Yeah. What if that's something where we're like overriding or overloading our nervous system, you know, the same way you would short circuit, you know, a, a device whether you know your computer or whatever i'm not a, a engineer but yeah, yeah I, I wonder if that's the same thing with uh our abilities and i think kind it's of putting like, high octane fuel in the wrong engine well i wonder you know? and i don't know that the military is necessarily gonna try this out but hey if you're listening uh i wonder if they would have more success in a megalithic site because one of the things that I've been looking into is with these stone structures and these different ancient structures that incorporate granite and quartz and mm -hmm. 
massive pieces of stone that have granite and quartz in them, which is piezoelectric, carries a frequency, a charge. Maybe it's it's conducive to that kind of activity. Um, I don't know. I'm just kind of spitballing here, but yeah, it's it's something that comes up in a book by a guy named uh, John Jonathan Burke called Stone, Seed of Knowledge, Stone of Plenty. And it's this idea that ancient cultures use these megaliths to uh, change the electroculture of the ground and make their seeds more fertile, the soil more uh, potent and abundant, you know? So, yeah, I, I think there's this whole electric universe, if we, if you will, that we don't necessarily uh, kind of understand fully with our scientific comprehension you know we're still in this like materialist paradigm with consciousness and whatnot but i think mm -hmm. when once there's a shift towards like a electrical basis of understanding things will start to make more sense maybe even with remote viewing maybe there's an explanation for it maybe the the reading i've done anyway and people i've talked to who are involved uh it definitely leans towards one. It's a real phenomenon. Again, two people can do it. Three, not everyone should do it. I don't think people should. It's kind of like, I don't know, psychedelics, right? Psychedelics are, can be fun. They can be a great time. They can help you, but not, it doesn't affect everybody the same, right? Some people, it, you don't come back. Like I have a group of friends that I participated with them in a consciousness experiment for a little while. <laughs> And uh, I've talked about it before, but I'll keep it on brief on this one. Um, not everybody came out of that unscathed, right? Like there was damage done. Uh, some people shouldn't have pushed that hard. Some people shouldn't have gone that far. Um, and they're not normal now. Like they're, they're still, they, they got hurt, uh, flew too close to the sun, you know? And then some people, absolutely no problem. You can just keep it coursing through the rain. They, they're able to go farther and longer and harder with fewer and fewer to the point now it's like, ooh, that's kind of spooky. Um, and so many of the guys are like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> like I'm having things affect me in the real world. Like I can't do that. I'm a yeah. professional. Uh, so yeah, man, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is with the wiring. It makes me think though with the government and the intelligence agencies involved for so many years and they were, and still are, um, they have something, you know, there. But I think they also know it uses people up. Who was the guy talking about, uh, and I think the, the fellows will be able to help me with that. Was it Michael Herrera? It was a Herrera, right? It was a Michael Herrera yeah. saying that they were kidnapped. And then he said later they were using them as like organic components for mm -hmm. research and whatever. I always thought that was crazy what he was saying until I started getting into this. And I found out that if you have people remote viewing and doing that psychic work, sure they can do it. They're going to get burned up, right? They're, they're just grabbing random. And this is the other interesting thing from this book and a, a few other things and conversations I've had. I think you have to buy into it. Like they can't force you to do it. You have to want to do it. And that would be a very hard, like, why don't you just get a random American? Well, and I'm never going to get them to do that. I think that's why we're seeing, you know, to shift gears a little bit yeah. into more of the conspiracy angle of all this is like, 
you know, you're seeing a lot more people talk about these mass rituals, right? And I wonder if that's exactly, you know, connected to what you're saying there with remote viewing, where there's a certain amount of will that's required. You have to will it. You have to be a co-creative conspirator, so to speak, in the process. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of what societies, whether it's the priesthood in ancient times, the the royal court in medieval times, or the the Super Bowl shows and all this, you know, fanfare and big events, uh, the Olympic World Game show and all this type of stuff. I think they're gamifying that aspect that will you know with the pandemic right you have before that you have this mass ritual what was it the olympics where they have people dressed strange london are so strange symbolically impregnating these into the subconscious of humanity you Mm -hmm. impregnate these symbols into the the consciousness of humanity and then those ideas they fertilize, they give birth, and then as the agenda is, you know, played out, people are more susceptible and less resistant to the changes that, you know, mm-hmm. the Hegelian dialect puppeteers want to push. You know, this that's why we saw riots in some parts of the country. We saw fights and all this crazy stuff on social media. All across the world, people were rioting, yet here in the United States, we didn't hear any of that. You know, France is is continuously rioting, and we're not told about that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's. I think that's exactly, like, before the whole pandemic thing happened, I'm not trying to say I prophesize anything at all, so don't take this wrong. But when that happened the there was the whole yellow jacket uh thing that was going on you guys remember the yellow jackets in france and everybody was kind of feeling like all right something's about to happen something's about to change and i remember thinking like wow this is really inspiring that all these people are in france like protesting and you know i I don't speak french so i don't know they could have been protesting against like public urinals you know like i don't i don't know like i have no clue you're right they they just show you a camera of people in the street and they're going ah, and you have no idea what it's for but i remember feeling inspired and then i heard none of that it all was gone nobody talked about those people and why they were protesting and it, and it wasn't about public urinals it was it was a good cause i i'm sure but I think that's a part of it. You know, they they saw that the internet, as you were saying earlier, Lee, was getting away from people. Social media, you had the the what was it, the Jade Revolution or the Green Revolution in the Middle East? Mm-hmm. That movement that was very much Twitter oriented. You know, it was all about Twitter, and and people were tweeting at each other, and it, it was changing the world. And they had to get ahead of it. And now, what do you see on social media? fake information false information fake news like this is the whole you know fact check world that we live in now was created because of of that because of what you're describing lee and i think it's kind of to bring it back to what dave was saying it's kind of connected to this concept of will and these remote viewing folks that were trying to create a global military you know 
seer organ unit or something like that you know like yeah. the the oracles of the military uh they realize like yeah there's this, this co-creative aspect that we have to account for and maybe you know this idea of creating manchurian candidates this these experiments to create all these controlled people what if they realize like hey we don't need to waste our time with these rogues anymore. Let's just apply these techniques on a massive level to everyone and see what happens. Let's just figure out how to take these techniques we've worked on individuals and apply it to a mass level. And I think and that's fine tune it as we move. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's hilarious. You just said that because in Annie's book, like in the foundation, when they were getting into this research, the OSS turned CIA and Naval intelligence were sending crews to Mexico to hunt for a specific kind of mushroom that they thought would enhance people's mental capacities and either make them suggestible and or give someone mental control over another person to get them to do what they want. They were looking for means of mass control. That's what the Brujos talk about. There are stories in Mexico. One of the first uh, books that I read, you know, Carlos Castaneda, take him for what he's worth. If he's not, he's not the best source of information. But I remember reading about um, the Brujos and it's very real you know these guys they're like dark shamans they live in the southern united states mexico down through south america they have all these weird techniques like one of the things they can do is shoot these darts at people and they're like spirit darts and they they hit you obviously in the non-physical world it's not a physical dart but these they're like curses and they they mm -hmm. create the dart in the astral world and then they shoot it at you and it's like a real thing that i don't know if it's necessarily like here's the tricky thing with it the victims of these brujos believe in the brujos power right and i think yeah. that's an aspect to it and that's why you see on social media and in television and in movies like leave the world behind uh this like fear that's being injected so that people are susceptible to the brujo's dart you know what i mean like mm -hmm. if the brujo lived in a, a, a village of non-believers his darts would be worthless but in a village of believers the brujo you know reigns supreme because his darts will kill and i think mm -hmm. that's what we have going on in the world is where they're just you know they're kind of farming what people believe in or not farming it but kind of like coaxing it mm -hmm. coaxing it ever so slightly so we kind of are uh, you know molded in this susceptible image that they want us to to live in but i don't know how how uh possible that is right because you know we're we're humans and and enveloped with uh spirit and in this one all consciousness you know i think that's a part of the the double-edged sword to the brujo's magic is like he is in the sense like this deadly force in the world but there's this other side to him where he's a healing force he fights he fights the the devils that are so you know uh dangerous that they could just destroy the village in one you know so his domination of this uh, village you know seems terrible because it's bringing all this suffering but 
he's the only uh he's the only you know one standing there between like this bigger evil right i think that's mm-hmm. a big analogy for what's going on in the world today yeah, maybe really. that devil is those ultra terrestrials well i think that's that's what keeps people like in line especially when you when you look back at the the pandemic the uh the fact that people realized i think on a massive scale that they had this unconscious agreement with the future that tomorrow would be the same as yesterday and then all of a sudden they were told it doesn't have to be and we're the ones that control if it is or not for you. I think that's been, that's why there's been, I think the shakeup of uh, a load of people which have like drifted like on mass to alternative media, but the people like you were saying before, which were, which blue pilled themselves have stunk their heels in, you know, they are, they are now true believers in the church of normalcy. Yeah. I don't see a way of these people waking up, though. You know, I I feel like we are so few. Um, conspiracies or not, I think we're a different breed. Because when I go out and I and I I, I struggle to speak to what I consider normal people. Um, it's okay. Normal people struggle to speak to you too, Ollie. They, they probably oh, do. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. but. When they don't have restraining orders, they they just seem so. And I hate to to say it, but like an NPC, you know, non playable oh, yeah. character. We were talking about them before. We the were show. talking about. I have a friend who works at. I should. I have I have a friend. He's a very intelligent guy. I'm not going to say the name. He's a super smart guy. He works in a very serious place and he sent me a message Friday night, which was one of my buddy's birthdays. So I'm in another reality at this point, right? Like everybody is. We're having a great time. He sends me a message like, I think my wife's an NPC. I'm like, bro, I'm not in the frame to be able to handle this conversation. <laughs> you need to text me tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I asked her if she had an inner monologue and she's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you're thinking in your head before, like, you're you're just kind of talking to yourself in your head. She's like, no, I don't do that. <laughs> and so he's like, so do you dream? And she's like, well, I mean, yeah. He's like, what? He's like, I don't know. Shapes, things, you know, what? it's not a big deal. It's not, I'm not really into dreaming. They've wow. been married. They got a couple kids and he's like, I, she's an NPC. <laughs> she's not real because we've been talking about that recently. <laughs> he's like, what do I do? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I was just, I was mostly bullshitting. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're confronting me with the reality I don't want to deal with right now, man. Again, talk to me Saturday. <laughs> well, do you ever get that feeling though, Matt, when you're out and you, you're, you're doing your weekly shop or whatever, that that motherfucker's not real? Well, see, this is, this is hard for me because I'm, I'm tall, so I'm like freakishly tall, some people say. So I always feel like the odd one out, even before COVID, I'd get like weird interactions with people that I just had to get used to, you know, because people would come up to me that I've never met in my life, but they see how tall I am and they're like, oh my gosh, how tall are you? Do you play basketball and all this other crap, right? So I've just, I've gotten used to that, you know, and, and, maybe those people are npcs but i i think what it is 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 we're all maybe this is kind of like a buddhist way of looking at it but i think we're all just different 
steps in our lifetime like some people are are on their first incarnation so to speak or their first 100 incarnations and maybe maybe you don't get an inner monologue until you've been incarnated for 200 lifetimes you know maybe this is something that evolves over many lifetimes i don't necessarily agree with that i have good friends that i would consider npc-ish at times like my buddies who i used to do the podcast with like they would rather live an npc life in many ways than take a, take the risk and be a podcast freak like me you know this is my only uh source of income so it is kind of risky in that sense uh, but yeah i think there's there's just it's just a different lifestyle you know like when you interact with people who can't relate at all it's just you're just coming from two different walks of life i don't necessarily agree with the npc term because i i i play video games and npcs suck like they're not you know like (laughs) they have no agenda whatsoever which isn't isn't true for the people we term npcs they have an agenda it's just very base level you know they're 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 working on a very, you know, not, uh, I think it's like, it's like, uh, what's the right term? It's like their operating system is, is only working on like so much programming. And as you learn more, you get more, yeah, you get more software, you get more Ram, you can process more. Upgrade, get the new software. Yeah. And and it's not everyone, it's not anyone's fault necessarily either because society education you know these are institutional things that have evolved over time to conform to a certain agenda and that agenda Mm -hmm. isn't necessarily making everyone the brightest bulb you know it's making certain people bright so that they can help sustain this institution it's a self-gratifying system in that sense naturally so everything kind of is uh, but no, I you know, when I interact with people and I, I can sense that they're kind of teetering on the edge of, you know, wanting to know about this kind of stuff, I'll tell them what I do mm-hmm. now because I do the podcast. But before that, it was much more difficult because I would have to like, yeah. you know, where do we start here? UFOs, Sasquatch, like mm-hmm. government conspiracies, the military sucks. Like, where do you want to start? You know, there's so many things, you know. A lot of people used to just think I I was a hippie, you know, because I'm like anti-war and I I smoke pot and I read a lot of books. So that makes me a hippie where I'm from. I don't know how. But uh, now I'm really grateful that we live in the world that we do because I think I'm I'm much more relatable now than I ever was. Because now, for the most part, people understand the kind of thoughts that guys like us have been having for a long time. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm grateful that we're kind of in a, a more expanded um, counterculture because this is a counterculture and that's mm-hmm. why it's hard to relate to people who are still on that mainstream media diet, you know, but I think those people, they're just, they're just more comfortable in that basic kind of thing and even that is like insulting i don't want to insult anybody right i think everybody has the potential to be where we're at here and above Mm. where we're reaching to 
so on and so forth. You know, it's, it's all, it's all a matter of, uh, you know, cir circumstance in that sense. Um, but I think, I think everybody has equal potential and, mm -hmm. and maybe there are some of us who are on that leading edge of the lifetime incarnations. So like, some people are incarnating for the first time. Some people are like about to move on beyond humanity, whatever that is, you know, it, it becoming, you know, something greater or going back to the all consciousness, whatever it is. But I think that 5% of humanity are the people that are writing books that inspire millions are, are leading, you know, people in ways that are innovative, you know, or, are inventing things that change the world. I, I do believe that for every NPC that seems to be just like putting along, doing nothing and just totally absorbing all the propaganda, there's an equal and opposite version of that person who's like completely innovating and going beyond what is expected of them. So that, you know, maybe that's a little bit uh, hopium for us here, but uh, a little, little hopium for people to smoke on. But I like I think there's evidence for it. I think, yeah. I think yeah. there's evidence for it because if, um, if, if, if we were in such small numbers within this counterculture, like mainstream media wouldn't be struggling for people to watch their watch their programming. You know, newspapers wouldn't be pop, propped up by government money because otherwise they would just collapse under their own weight. Uh, shows like yours wouldn't be getting such such good followings. You know, and, and you know, even even sort of like a modest show like, like this. You know, it's we can still get sort of what right now like eighty six people watching like live. So they're spending their time, awesome. their life like listening to, to interesting conversations instead of watching that extra hour of a Netflix show. 86 is more than I get when I live stream. So don't, don't say that's modest. Shout out to all 86 of you. What's up? Oh, we love people <laughs> all over we, the, yeah. all the world. We, we, genuinely, everyone says they have like a good chat. We've got the best chat. It's great. Awesome. Well, I'm happy <laughs> to be here, man. I'm happy yeah. to meet the, uh, the, the audience, meet the three of you guys and, we yeah, should have said that it was three of us. I bet that was a bit weird coming on. It's like, I just thought that we won. <laughs> <laughs> we no, like no, to no. catch people off guard. It's part of our part of our charm. <laughs> you know, get you off foot, and then you realize we're nice, and it's part of that, you know, psychological endearment. I, I think it's more just the going. fact that together the three of us make like one half decent interview. Let's <laughs> let's let's not give too much credit to what we got going on. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was, I was a little, one. I was a little surprised, but I, I, I prefer to do uh, group conversations like this with folks who know each other and have a rapport, and I can just jump right in. Uh, so yeah, no, it's it's cool. You guys didn't surprise me that much, but uh, yeah, I've been I've been so busy with my research that I'm like, I just was like, yeah, let's do it. I'm not gonna like do any preparation. Uh, beforehand and usually i like to at least watch a few episodes to see you know what i'm getting into but i trusted you guys you sent me a nice message i think it was lee that reached yeah, out it was definitely lee <laughs> we're really glad you didn't watch anything else because depending on the episodes you click shit gets weird <laughs> it could have been a very mellow one or it could have been like i don't, I don't want to be associated with these people no anyway. oh no you couldn't no there's no way you could have that would have only excited me more you guys don't <laughs> know 
podcasts I listen to. I mean, I'm all over the map. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, uh, but as far as like, you know, going back to what we were talking about, I think when it comes to NPCs, like, we all have the potential to be an NPC, right? And I, mm-hmm. I think culture tries to, our American, economy western civilization kind of like work ethic it kind of makes you into an npc if you're Mm -hmm. not careful right because at least where i grew up there's this kind of notion that reading and like becoming someone who like knew something about the world that wasn't as important as making money providing for your family and i i i don't disagree with that i think making money working so you're surviving you're not on welfare or working on some or you know off someone else's dole that's super important but i think there's just as much of uh importance in becoming acquainted with the with the world and learning about history learning about what's really going on and i think why social media is so crazy is because our education system doesn't do that for us and my life particularly i was like you know what i don't care if i'm starving artist so to speak or whatever i want to learn about this stuff that's interested me so i just tried to make ends meet you know and and put the focus on on that and things have really worked out for me and it's kind of uh i guess reminded me that there is like a a sort of purpose to all this stuff you know buying all these books before i started the podcast you know people would like well what's the point what are you going to do with all this are you going to open a library or a bookstore and it's like no no no. i'm i'm learning i want to learn about all this stuff you know and the podcast has given me an outlet for all this stuff and i think the fact that these books are kind of on the last shelf on the left kind of thing you know that's why people are more likely to become an npc but now that's changing with the podcast world with the internet people are less likely to become an npc sure there's people that are going to get sucked into the metaverse or whatever but i think now you know it's a better time than ever to take someone who is an npc and open crack crack open you know their perception so to speak and maybe activate them to become a responsible sovereign individual who cares about their neighborhood and their world and (laughs) actually does something about it i mean that's what we all want right uh to make a positive impact on our our own lives and others so yeah there you go reading rainbow folks i love whatever corny shit yeah do you do you do you have a guest mark that's that's that has made the like the biggest impact? Because you you've obviously interviewed lots of people. Is the is the one that really stands out that you've you've come off a show and you've been like, man, yeah, do something about this. Or yeah, there's a few that come to mind as you're saying that. Um, you know, David Ike talking to him was a great opportunity. Love uh, David Ike, but like as far as like. Uh, 
episodes that stuck with me one that really stuck with me was ron l ryan and he's from newfoundland newfoundland and he talked about the beothic people and what's interesting about him is he is a beothic person he's beothic it's a type of tribe that scientists and anthropologists say doesn't exist anymore they say that they used to exist in newfoundland and they stopped existing like two three hundred years ago whatever right and they're 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 fair-skinned light-skinned native americans and he is a beothic person and he was fired from his job at this university for saying i'm beothic here's my dna evidence this is what i am i have proof i'm a i'm a living member of this community that you say doesn't exist anymore and they said no you're wrong and you're fired so he was one of my favorite guests to talk to because you know, we don't hear stories from people like him very often and uh you know, I, I wonder how often that type of thing has happened all over the world, you know, where there's groups of people that just aren't recognized. You know, we know about the Swiss and the Swedish and the Russians and the Chinese and the and the you name it, right? Every country in the world has a story, but there's tons of uh, countries that no longer exist, tons of groups of people that no longer exist. And, that's the type of stuff I, I always like to learn about. So that was one of my favorite guests for sure. Uh, I was a couple months ago. What is that show called? That that that, that interview? What episode? Ron L. Ryan was his name. Ron R O N. So you could uh, you could search his name and and find it. But I'm gonna watch that tomorrow. I gotta wrap up and uh, get some food. In me. I'm, no worries, man. We no appreciate problem, your buddy. time. It's been awesome. I appreciate Absolutely, being yeah. here. Yeah, and this the, is awesome. The links be, in the description. Anytime. Yeah. Have you got anything coming up that you'd like to tell people about before you go? Uh, no, just check out the show. My family thinks I'm crazy. Find it on all platforms, wherever you listen to podcasts and right. YouTube, Let's, if you're here on YouTube. You'd be modest. El, Elvis Presley um, and Aliens. Mm-hmm. That that's that's the episode that's coming out. It it's already out on the audio feed, but it, it'll be out soon on YouTube. Nice. I'm gonna that's my listen tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, everyone who's with us, all 86, 87, thank you. We love you. Please like, share, subscribe, buy a t-shirt, buy Dave Squatch t-shirt. That would be Squatch awesome. T-shirt. There you go. Yes. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you, Mark, for joining us. Appreciate it, mate. Good night, good night.
That was Sorry, uh, Ollie, I just I just fully squashed your bit there, didn't I? He likes it like that, though. No, no. Every at the end of every alienatic show, Ollie always says good night, God bless, and I just just say good night, God. Yeah, good night, God. Bye. Yeah, but it's not like a permanent good night, God. Like, (laughs) no one worry. All right, Ollie's okay. Buy one of these. Yeah, right, Ollie. I I, I'll live. (laughs) (laughs) One more week, God. One more week. (laughs) 